0: I want to to introduce my friend Jeff Walling. Jeff, come on up here. Jeff's about to preach for us. Uh, Two great words been floating around this room this morning is the word friend. And, uh, you know, in ministry, you you make certain friends in ministry that only you can understand what's going on. And and Jeff and his wonderful wife, Catherine. Catherine's with us today. Catherine, you stand up so everybody can see you and welcome you. They have been awesome friends to Stephanie and I over a a long period of years. Probably longer we want to admit but the other word that we have just sang about was the word revive. And I don't know anyone in our fellowship who's been used by God to revive more people than the man to my right. And we're praying he's going to revive us today. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for bringing Jeff and Catherine here today. God, thank you for the way your spirit has already filled this place. Thank you for the worship. God, thank you just for your presence. And Lord, as Jeff speaks to us, God, may you use the incredible gifts and abilities you've given him to touch us, to make us laugh, God, and to make us look deep within and make us see you. Revive us, Lord. We beg you to revive us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much.
1: Once again, sure. if I got it right now. There we go. All right. Good deal. Thank you so much, buddy, for, uh, for your hospitality. Uh, you and, and Stephanie have been friends for long, long time. I remember, oh goodness, when I was probably in third grade coming to hear buddy preach and just (laughs) the great influence of my life. Buddy is a friend, a great minister, and maybe you're like me, maybe you're a guest here, maybe this isn't your home, and you're thinking, what's this church like? Well, let me tell you, I've been here before, it's great to be back at Landmark, I'll tell you a couple of things about these people. Number one, they really believe that Jesus Christ is the answer that our families, our communities, and our country is looking for. Can I get an oh yeah from Landmark on that? All right. And second, they are a friendly bunch of folks. And I hope you've already experienced that. If you're looking for a church home here in Montgomery, I hope you'd say, Man, I've got to come back to Landmark. And you do need to hear Buddy. Buddy, uh, we've known him for a long, time. one of the first times they ever came out to California, Buddy and Stephanie actually drove all the way out there, Medicine, Mission Viejo. And when uh, they got out there, uh, I never forget, Buddy saying, Man, I tell you, that was some kind of trip. He said they told me they'd come across the Mojave Desert. And... Uh, <laughs> First time in California, I said, buddy, it's not Mojave, it's Mojave. And it was a little confusing for a while because he wanted to take uh, Stephanie down to San Juan Capistrano. And we had to stay at San Juan with a J. But he got it. By the time he's leaving, one of our shepherds said, how long are you going to stay? And he said, well, we'll probably be here through hoon or hulai. So uh, I, I appreciate his adaptability. And that's as good a segue as any for me to say. Uh, I now live and in, in, serve in Southern California again, Pepperdine University. And I, on behalf of Pepperdine, I want to extend to you an invitation. How many of you ever been to Pepperdine University? Anybody here been to lectures? How many of you ever been to California? Let me do it that way. How many won't raise your hand no matter what question I ask you? Uh, Thank you for your honesty, sir. Well, let me show you a picture. This is our campus. That big blue spot up there is the Pacific Ocean. God gave us a beautiful piece of property right on the ocean where we have 3,000 undergraduate students and other 3,000 graduate students. And uh, it is a Christian university. Will you keep us in your prayers? And would you please consider coming and visiting us for the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Buddy's often been a speaker on the lectures and certainly come out for it a number of times. We'll have 300 presenters from all across the United States, preachers and teachers coming to teach, and it's free. Come join 4,000 Christians who will gather there in May of next year for our theme, which is, I think we've got a theme shot there, it is the Cruciformed Life. So we're going to be talking about the cross. It's going to be a blessing. And I'll tell you a little secret. It's free. As soon as registration goes online, you can sign up to get housing on campus in one of our beautiful dorms there for four nights, total 140 bucks. That's not per night. That's the total. I mean, they just make it as possible, uh, as financially possible as we can for you to come. So husbands, if you're looking for that honeymoon trip that won't bust your budget or that anniversary trip, right, here it is, come on out to California, you look out the window and you see the Pacific Ocean, you can get all the Bible teaching you want and then walk right down to the ocean uh, and and enjoy that. So we, we sincerely want to give you an invitation to come. And even if you may not come, if you know a student, a junior or senior in high school or college student or a middle schooler, we have special programs that even if they never come to campus, Pepperdine's trying to find a way to bless our brotherhood. There's a online christian leadership course for middle schoolers completely free for high schoolers there's a project called next gen preacher search that buddy's helped with and there are some flyers out there in one of the tables in the lobby if you have interest or see me afterwards be happy to answer some questions but i want to dive into our topic for today buddy said jeff come for this friend day one day what do you want to talk about well i just want to talk about one word so it'll be a simple sermon right just one word It's kind of like, you know, trying to learn to say Mojave. Sometimes we misunderstand and just one word can change a conversation. You ever been in a cell phone conversation where you dropped one word and it made the whole difference, right? You know, you didn't hear I'm not coming as opposed to I am going to meet you there. I was in Russia a number of years ago, the former Soviet Union, actually in Ukraine with my wife. And I asked the translator to teach me some English. Or rather, teach me some uh, Russian. As she was translating, yeah, some English too. Teach me some Russian because uh, I was trying to preach. And, and so she said, okay. And so she taught me the word for faith is you korni, know, which means roots. Um, or, uh, or to say, you know, spasiba or pashalsta. Or even say, minyazabu Jeff Walling. My name is Jeff Walling. Well, I've got pretty good at it. And my my ego got the best of me, and I found myself standing in a train station wearing a big old heavy coat. It was wintertime. Had a bigger beard back then, big old rabbit fur hat that I bought for $4 in red square. I was feeling kind of tired that morning. And as this train went by, I saw myself reflected in the window, and I thought, I even look like a Russian. I bet I could pass myself off for one train ride as a local. So I said, what's the word for wife? She said, word for wife is Jana. Catherine was standing a little bit away from me, so... When the train pulled up and the doors opened, I just went, Jenna, huh? and walked on the train. She came running over. And all the guys on the train were like, oh, yeah, you know. She said, What are you doing? And I was like, Nyit, Nyit, you know, which is Russian for nothing. She said, What are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to pass myself off as a local. She said, Well, you're passing yourself off as an idiot. What did you call me? And I said, All I said was wife. So she said, well, Irina, what's the word for husband? Well, she said, the word for husband is mushk. Can I have all the guys here we will learn a little Russian? Say, "Zhena," Try that. Yeah. Right. Now all the ladies say mushk. Mush. Okay, so that's husband and wife in Russian. So when we got to the university, I thought I'd show off my new words. So I met the university president. She introduced me, and I said, меня Zavut Jeff Walling. And I motioned to my wife and said, Jena. And I motioned to myself and said, Mushka. And he went, ah, da, da, clapped his hands. I did the same thing with the dean of the school of chemistry and the same thing with the dean of the school of Russian and all the way through. And my sweet little female translator never told me until I was getting ready to leave the university a week later, heading back to Moscow, Mr. Walling, you've done really good except for one word. I said, what one word did I blow? She said, word for wife is Jena, da. But the word for husband is mushka. I said, that's what I've been saying. She says, no, no. You say mushka. I said, so what's mushka? She said, mushka is a local Russian word for a little tiny mouse. She said, you know Mickey mushka? So she'd let me go around saying, this is my wife and I am her little tiny mouse. Which is why all the Russian guys said, same in this country, we know what you mean. <laughs> I want to say a word and you see if you know the proper definition of it. And let me see if I can say it very carefully. You ready? Here's the word. Holy. Now what do you think of when I say holy? Holy. A scripture comes to mind that I'm sure many of you have memorized it's one of those scriptures as soon as I say it you're going to go oh, man I've heard this scripture before your bible probably falls open to it you read it regularly it's a, in fact about half the bible students in here are going I already know what it is don't you Habakkuk 2:20. did anybody guess that has anybody ever sung this song the lord is in his holy temple do you know that one let all the earth keep sigh oh you do know it for him keeps keep Oh yeah keep silence Keep. Man, I am transported back to the little church in Southern California where I grew up. Every Sunday morning, we would start every Sunday service with that song. Only the song leader didn't start it. Somebody kind of just started it in the the audience. Now, as a kid, being a preacher's kid, I knew, I know why they're doing that. That's the way to say, hush up and sit down, you know. We're trying to get started. In fact, Brad Henniger and I had alternative lyrics, which were never to be sung out loud. But in our brains, we would sing, It's time to start church now, so hush up. And we, you know, the hush up. You can imagine why we're giggling sitting over there with the teens. You see, I heard those words, The Lord is in His holy temple, and I thought about this building, I thought about the church. In fact, I thought, okay, it's time to charge church. One of the deacons must have seen God's car pull up. So, all right, now all of a sudden, we're just going to go for a bunch of rebel rousers talking about who won or who lost in the football games. And now we're all going to get... Everybody say holy. Yeah, can you say it and sound holy? Try it. One, two, three. There you go. That's right. Now we sound holy. Holy man. Holy woman, right? I was so confused. Because I thought that holiness... Was some, in fact, take, take your bulletins out. Write, write down a couple of things in there. They, they let me put an outline in here. Let me give you a couple of things just to think about this week about it. You see, God offers us a special way to live life that the Bible calls holiness. But the mistake we often make, the misunderstanding we often have, the mispronunciation is this. Holiness, number two, is not something that we earn or do. You see, I thought holiness was somehow a way you behaved. Oh, you need to act holy. You need to behave in a holy way. Holiness is not something that I go out and work my way into, earn, or even that I, quote, do. Holiness is something... Well, let me let Peter give us a vision of it. 1 Peter, chapter 1, about verse 16, 15 and 16. Peter writes this. As obedient children... Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is, say the word, so be in all you do. Look how he continues when he says, be holy because what? Here's the principle. If you get this, you got it this morning. Holiness is what happens when God is present. Now think about this. Holiness is not me getting up and saying, all right, I've got I to act like a holy man, right? Holiness is me realizing the presence of the Lord is what makes a place, a thing, a person holy. Are you tracking with me so far? Give me a uh-huh if we're kind of sorted together on this. Because this is the key principle here. S- sometimes if I use a visual, it's easy for, easier for me to remember. I'm a visual learner. So let me, let me just use these two chairs for a minute. I want you to imagine that this chair represents the presence of God. Okay, God's chair here. And this chair is going to represent mankind. In the beginning, the Bible says, and this is amazing, the description of the book of Genesis is that our chairs would have been just like this. God and man. Remember the story in the book of Genesis where God comes walking in the cool of the evening, coming to visit man? We normally say, oh God, I want you with me. God wants to be with you way worse than you want to be with him. In fact, the first story we read where God and man interact is him coming and walking in the garden in the cool. Remember the old song? And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I... I can hear my grandma's voice singing that song in church growing up. Let me tell you something. That's a Genesis song. That's a song about God and man together in the garden. Only we messed it up, didn't we? Remember what happened? Adam and Eve were in the garden created by God and then Satan said hey you want it better now think about this how could Adam and Eve have it any better they lived in paradise as best we can tell there were no natural enemies they did not age Eve never got up one morning and said I married the wrong man she had the only man on earth for her literally right And Adam and Eve never got up and spent one minute going, well, what'll we wear today? I mean, they just did not have certain problems that you and I face. Because the Bible says they were naked and yet unashamed. So here is this perfect environment, and Satan has the temerity, that old snake, to sneak up and say, hey, psst, psst, naked lady, come here a minute. How would you like it better? How can I have it any better than I've got it? And Satan said, just take one step outside the will of God. You just take one step outside his will. And he's trying that same old line on all of us, isn't he? Just take one step outside your marriage and then you'll be happy. Just take one step outside of your integrity and then you'll be happy. Oh, come on. Just cheat that one time. Just take that one thing. Satan is a liar and always has been. Amen? You just ask Eve. Because she had it perfect. She and Adam had it great. And then they decided to disobey God. And in an instant, the picture went from this to the... I don't have enough room here to show it. Mankind and God were separated by the choices that we'd chosen to make. Separated by sin, the scripture says. And the rest of the story of scripture is, what do you do about this? Now, I grew up thinking that what you do about this is if you're mankind, you work your way back to God, right? We do good things and make sacrifices and working my way back to you, Lord, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, work my way back to God. But that's not what the Bible says at all. In fact, what Scripture says is that mankind can never earn holiness if, if you came to church this morning saying, oh man, I tell you what, I want to go earn my holy... I've got to go to church. Only- There's nothing we can do to pay back for our sins. Everybody understands that? Say, oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so if that's the case, what's the story of Scripture? The beautiful story of Scripture is a God who says, I will come to you. No other God like this who says, I will come to you. He begins, after cleaning off the world, after the people build the Tower of Babel, and even the language there describes the distance. Did you ever notice this? The first time distance language is used for God in scriptures in Genesis chapter 11, where the Bible says the Lord God came down. Remember this text? Take a look at it. The Bible says the Lord God came down to see what the sons of men were doing. That's distance language. Now watch what God does. God then starts appearing to people. He gives Abraham a vision, talking to him. And then he's gone. Now, he doesn't stay. It's these momentary visions. Take a look at the way Jacob describes it. Jacob has this experience. The Bible describes it in the book of Genesis in which Jacob is is having a dream and sees the angels ascending and descending. And he wakes up and says, Oh, surely, read the yellow out loud with me, surely the is in this place and I was not aware of it the Bible says he sets up a stone and pours oil on it it says this is a holy place because God was here what made the place holy the presence of God even briefly he'll appear and then disappear. It's like a drive-by godding right he just I mean he shows up and then he's gone and when he does everybody says wow God was here that was amazing and he does it with Abraham, and with Isaac, and with Jacob, and with Jacob's sons, and then the people end up in slavery, and then God calls a man. His dad's name was Amram, his mom's name was Jacobed. And when the Pharaoh said, we don't need any more of these Israelites, we're just going to throw these baby boys in the river, she puts her baby in a basket before she puts it in the river. Anybody remember in this story from Sunday school, she put pitch and tar in the bottom of that basket, and her has her little daughter. Miriam, watch her little brother in a basket. And who finds the baby in the basket? Pharaoh's daughter. Daddy, can I keep it? I'm the Pharaoh. Sure, keep it, baby. And he has no idea. He is raising, feeding, educating, and training the man that will bring him down. What was his name? Moses. When God appears to Moses, it's an interesting moment. Because Moses is out there, right, watching the sheep. When this bush is burning. And Moses is immediately drawn to it. As Henry Blackaby you know, famously talks about go to where God is. And so Ab- uh, Moses rather starts to head because God says, here I am. And Moses says, whoa, but look what the Lord says to him. Take a look at the text. Moses, Moses, he calls to him. And Moses begins to come, here I am. And God says, no, 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 you don't move. I'm the one who doesn't move. <laughs> you don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the ground you're standing on is holy and he tells him you go tell the pharaoh let my people go and moses experience with god is over wow that was something else from then on god would appear and disappear appear and move away until finally when they got out of egypt and they got out into the wilderness god descends on the top of mount sinai now this is a first God had showed up momentarily, but here at the end of the, uh, in the uh, book of Exodus, we find this picture of him descending. Take a look at what he says about the mountain. The Bible says the Lord will come down, this is Moses speaking to the people, on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits on the mountain for the people around it. Be careful that you do not what? Go up on the mountain or touch the foot of the mountain. Why? Because this is going to be a holy thing. So God comes down on Mount Sinai. All Israel goes, Oh my goodness! God says, Moses, thunder, lightning, fire. I'd love to turn Steven Spielberg loose on this scene. Thunder, lightning, and fire on the top of Mount Sinai. And then God says, Moses, come here. Moses goes up into the thunder, fire, and lightning. And God drops some news on him that is amazing. Yes, he gives him the Ten Commandments. But what he really says is, I'm moving into your neighborhood. You're the God who is out there. No, I want you to build me a mobile home. I want you to build me a tent and and these poles, and it's going to be beautiful, and it goes right in the middle of your camp. And when they built it, the last chapter, the last paragraph of the last chapter of the book of Exodus is thunder, fire, and lightning descending on what's called the tabernacle. Everybody remember that word? Tabernacle. The word means tent of meeting. Not for you and I to get together like this, but for God and man to meet. Soon, they build a temple when they get into the promised land. And now God has a permanent dwelling. Mankind thinks this is really cool. And guess what's in the center of the temple? A room called the... Where are my Bible teachers here? What's the room in the center of the temple called? The room that only the high priest can go and only once a year. What's it called? The Holy of Holies. Why is it holy? Because of the presence of God. Wow. God is with us. Now he's the God who lives with us. How cool. We'll never be any closer to God than this. Can't you imagine the little mom who brings her son and says, baby, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and see the house of God. We're going to go see the house of God. And they get there and he says, oh, mama, can I go running in?" No, you can't. That's a, everybody say, Holy holy place we used to think the building's holy right don't go running in the building well boy if it was the way it was back in the day you wouldn't say don't go running in the building you'd say remember your older brother (laughs) because if somebody ran into the holy temple they'd, they'd stone you i mean you'd die over it right people thought we can never be any closer to god than we are now and god says oh really watch this and a virgin gave birth to a baby and they called his name Emmanuel which means God with us he's back now this is where I have to struggle with lust because I so would love to have been able to sit down by Jesus wouldn't you? wouldn't you love to know what he... What his hands felt like, or what his eyes looked like, or what his voice sounded like. Because all of a sudden, it's the Garden of Eden all over again. We're close enough to, to wash his feet with tears, to grasp his hand and kiss it. We're close enough to hug him, and we were close enough to beat him, strip him, mock him, torture him, nail him to a cross, and spear him to death. And we did. After God comes all this way, we basically go, oh yeah, thanks for the trip. Now you're thinking, oh, we did, have you seen The Passion? We did that. Now if this was a movie, what would you expect God to do next? What would you expect the next scene to be? You'd expect, oh, you did not just do that. You did not just kill You did not just torture, you did not just crucify my son, my presence. You want, God would become Robert De Niro, right? You want some of this? You want some of this? Uh, It's been years ago, but I'll never forget driving in my car and having my son with me when he had just learned how to begin to read. And we pulled up behind a van at a red light where a guy had put every dirty bumper sticker he could find on his van. And my son was like, Daddy, what does that mean? I said, that just means that's a dumb man. Just don't, don't, don't worry about it. And I'm waiting for the red light. God was testing me. I'm waiting for the red light. And my son then sees the big bumper sticker in the middle that said, God is dead. Deal with it. Stupid. I thought, really? Really? And when Taylor spotted that one, he said... man said stupid I said that's right buddy mama doesn't like us you know that's right that's not a very smart man is it put that word there and I'm thinking dude do you know all the kids you are you are influence Ooh! and then I saw the bumper sticker that made it all right bumper sticker said if it feels good do it twice so I just rammed his van twice just bang bang. no I I didn't I wanted to okay I wanted to but it hit me that i wasn't the only one seeing that van god of heaven and earth could see that van and that guy is so lucky i'm not god because i would looked down and said oh god is dead well no i'm not but you are there how about that i mean that that's what we want right when somebody treats god with disrespect we think god's gonna let him have it and boy god does doesn't he because when they kill Jesus and they bury him in the ground and he is resurrected and he appears to the disciples and, and then he ascends into heaven, God says, okay, you want some of this? <laughs> and the book of Acts says they were gathered in a room, an upper room. The sound of a rushing mighty wind came and tongues of fire, now remember fire was what happened on side of Mount Sinai and on top of the tabernacle, tongues of fire came and separated and came to dwell on them. Did you ever notice that word separated? That's God doing this. You want to be close to me? Try this. Now you may be saying, you can't do that. You can't put man's chair and God's chair together like that. Well, talk to God. Because the Bible says that's exactly what he did. Paul writes it this way. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the... Anybody help me on this? Holy Spirit. Who is what? Excuse me? Whom you have received from God. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So the holy place today is not this building, but it is you, if you're a Christian. How's that working for you? Hold your hands out in front of you, would you like this? Just, just, just do this. If you're a Christian, you're looking at holy hands. Don't, don't clean them, sir. Just, just, just look at them there. Just just, Just look. anybody remember the old vbs song oh be careful little hands what you do or oh be careful little lips these are holy lips what those holy lips say this morning at the house when y'all was getting ready Mm-hmm. what did these holy eyes take in over the weekend What do these holy ears listen to? Where have these holy feet been? You see, it's not about going and behaving in a certain way. It is about seeing yourself as holy and then treating ourselves as holy because we are God's holy people. So when there's a loss or a fire, or a hurricane, when there is a problem in this city, where's God's hands? They're at the end of your arms. When there's a need in your family, when somebody's hurting in your school or at your work, where's the arms of the Lord? They're right on your shoulders. Because he says, you are my holy person. So what are we going to do to remember that? Well, we've got 300 t-shirts out there that say holy man and holy woman, and we're asking you to wear them for the next year. I'm just kidding. Some were nervous. They're saying, buddy, do that. I I think he would. How would it change the way you drove if they gave you a sticker for your car that said, this car driven by a holy man, this car driven by a holy woman? Or if we gave you a little something for your desk at work that said, a holy person works at this desk. Would it change the way you talked about the boss? Would it change the way you griped about the customers? Would it change the language you used when you're upset? Now, if you say, well, I can't control that. Oh, come on. (laughs) We treat this building like a holy place. When we come in here, we dress, act a certain way. Why, somebody be stand at the back and one of the fellows will start telling tell a joke and his wife will say, oh, don't you tell that joke in here. Go out in the lobby if you're going to tell that joke. <laughs> See, because we think this is kind of a holy place. Let me let you know, this is not a holy place except the fact that you're here. Because you are the holy place. It's a beautiful building. It's a lovely facility. But Jesus didn't die for this wood, nor the stucco, nor the sheetrock. He died for you. Would you lean over the person next to you and tell them, you're a holy person. Go ahead, just tell them that. Yeah. Okay, all right, you don't need to preach. Some wives are there, so you better start acting like it. We say, well, I just, you know, certain things I can't... If we started to treat ourselves like holy people... I wonder what the difference would be. I wonder what the difference would be. Those communion trays were the closest thing to holy I ever saw as a kid. Because I thought that was the holy juice. And as a kid before I was baptized, I thought if I could just drink some of that holy juice, I could get the holiness in me, you know. And as a preacher's kid, I knew where the kitchen was. Where they kept the holy trays in the holy refrigerator in the holy kitchen. And I will confess that in second grade, after one particular Sunday of my mom not letting me have any, I snuck back in there, opened that fridge up. There wasn't anybody, I didn't even turn the lights on. When that light came on, I was like Indiana Jones, man. There's the trays. And <laughs> I took the top off and those old glass cups. Man, I, mean, I thought, oh, this is it. And I just drank that down. Think about this. Cold welches going down a second grader's gullet. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's the holiness going in me right now. And I felt wonderful and guilty all at once. And I washed that cup up and hit it and shut that fridge and ran out to the play yard where the kids were. And I was thinking, oh, man, I was sweating. My buddy Brad said, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. What's wrong? He said, I, I said... I just drank some of the holy juice. He said, no way. I said, yeah, it was good. Oh, You can feel it going in. He said, I want some. I said, no, you can't, man. I shouldn't have done it. It's wrong. He said, can't you get me some? I said, no. He said, I will tell your mother. (laughs) Okay, Brad, you meet me at the kitchen door next Sunday after church. Okay, right after church is over. So right after church is over, he met me at that door. We slipped inside. We each got one, you know, knocked them back, you know, and then washed the... He said, that's... A, I said, yeah, I know. It's amazing. Okay, shut the door. Come on. We're not doing this anymore. G- get, Come on. Get out of here. We got outside. He said, wow. I said, I know, but we're done. We are through. We're quitting today. We're not doing this anymore. And don't tell anybody. Well, loose lips sink ships. Because Ricky Wright came up to me Wednesday night and said, I want some juice. I said, dude no, we cannot do this. He said, I will tell your dad. Okay, all right. Well, the word spread, and within two months, the entire second and third grade Sunday school class of the Downey Church of Christ was meeting in that kitchen for what we called Second Communion. And so one of the girls found the bread. Now we had the bread and the cup. So then somebody said, well, you got to have a prayer. So we'd have a prayer for the cup and a prayer for the bread. And on the morning that some of the ladies in the lobby said, where are all the children? It was my mom that went running through there, worried we were maybe back in the education building. And when she threw open that kitchen door, there were 14 second and third graders doing like this. She said, what? And one of the little girls pulled her skirt and said, shh, he's saying a prayer for the cup. Well, my mom said, Jeff, what are you? And every kid, preachers, what? It was like a drug raid. Out the doors, out the window, run. <laughs> but she got a hold of me. Oh, man, did I get a talking to. And she, oh, I can't tell you, she held this tray in her hands and it quivered. And she said, this is not a plaything. This is not a plaything. This is a special, holy thing. For years, I wouldn't even touch a tray. But my sweet mama, who's now died and gone to be with Jesus, I need to tell you something. She was wrong. This tray's just a hunk of metal. Those cups are just plastic. You can take this thing out in the parking lot and play frisbee with it. God's not going to strike you a lightning bolt. But when you treat yourself as an unholy plaything, it breaks his heart. You could write curse words all around this building, not going to hurt God, but when they come out of your mouth, it breaks his heart. Friends, if we would just decide that we truly believe that the presence of God makes us, everybody say holy. Tell me what what might change. How about our willingness to invite a friend to church? (laughs) How about decisions we make about how our family spends our time and speaks to one another? How about the kind of movies we watch? Music we listen to? You are holy. Will you bow with me? Father, Lord, today we come to a moment in this service, a moment of simple recognition that you have made us, by your grace and mercy, those of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ, who have been buried with him in baptism, Father, you have given us a holy life to live. You've consecrated us. You live within us through your spirit. But Father, there's a bunch of us sitting in this auditorium thinking, I'm not as holy when I leave here. Or we're reflecting on things we have done and said over the last few weeks that our holy mouths uttered or our holy ears took in. And Father, we want to say, forgive us. Lord, we need to go from this place to be a holy, loving army. From Montgomery, We want to leave here being holy arms to hug the needy and to care for the marginalized. Father, we want to leave here to be holy dads and holy moms and holy students and holy managers and holy workers. Father, we want to be, leave here to be holy uh, uh, collegiate members. We want to leave here to be holy teachers, holy firemen, holy preachers. God, we ask that you help us once again commit to being holy. And Father, when the praise team leads us in this simple invitation song, Lord, I pray for those who have never been baptized into Jesus Christ, just like the celebrations we had a few minutes ago. Father, I pray about some young people in this room who have never said, Jesus is my Lord, and been baptized in his name, so that you might live in them. Father, will you give them the courage even to step out and say, today... I want to begin a holy walk with God. But Father, I pray for some folks that are not teenagers, some in their 20s, 30s, or 50s, or 60s who have never given their heart to life and and, and been baptized into Jesus' name. Father, I pray when this song is sung that they might be some of the first to step out from their pew and say, God, I want to start a holy life with you. But Lord, I need to pray for all of us who... Maybe got baptized a long time ago, but we're not living like it. Father, we're not living out the commitment we made when we said Jesus is Lord. Father, I pray when this song is sung, there'd be some men and women who would step out to say, we want to recommit to holy living. We want our children to see us leading in a holy way. Father, I know we've got the good folks here that would show up at church on a Sunday morning, but, Father, if the strong will not step out, how in the world can the weak follow? And so, Lord, I pray that when this song is sung, there'd be some to come and say, I've got neighbors that I need to invite even to come back tonight. I've got friends I need to talk to about Jesus that I haven't been. I want prayers, and I want to commit to my church family. I want to live holy. Father, never let us misunderstand that simple word. That what we're asking is nothing less than you taking control of our lives and us being obedient moment to moment to your holy will. Lord, I know Satan will do everything he can to stop anybody from stepping out. Father, I pray that you give courage to those who today, when this song is sung, just need to come forward, whether to be baptized or rededicate themselves to holy living, that they can step by or step on Satan. But, Father, may you give them the victory of leaving this place, not feeling guilty or gross, but feeling great because of your grace. I pray that in Jesus' holy name. And all that agree say, amen. This is your moment. As we stand and sing, if you're in need. Won't you come? Won't you come right now?